I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The Telegraph. Telegraph. Podcasts. Hi there, podcast fans. I'm Tom Gibbs. Welcome to the club. Telegraph Audio Football Club. It was a weekend of battling draws, hard-earned victories, with a sprinkling of thrashings, and we'll get into it all in appropriate depth over the next 45 minutes or so. Today, why Wolves look like the real deal? Why Jurgen Klopp's biggest problem may be the quality of his squad? Why Spurs should forget about moving stadiums this season? And a heated discussion about Manchester City's suitability for European football. My AFC Telegraph teammates will also have a think about the season so far and decide who we think is over and underachieving and who should be the recipient of FIFA's large, shiny trophy for being the best at football. Back into the warm embrace of the audio recording facility and I'm joined by Europe's leading European football person. It's Mina Rizuki. How are you, Mina? Oh, I'm good, thank you. I didn't expect that. No. I thought you were looking at Matt the whole time. Absolutely not. Over to chalkboard botherer JJ Bull. How are you? Uh, that's a new one. <laughs> chalkboard bother. I'm really good, Tom. Good. Um, yeah, I've had a lovely weekend. Do you own a chalkboard? Oh, I have one of those little whiteboard things, but it's in this massive office somewhere. Right. I'm not sure if someone's nicked it yet. Right, okay. <laughs> when was the last time you used chalk? Uh, that's a really good question. I don't remember. Okay, we'll come back to that at the end of the podcast. Our man also with the finger on all of the pulses of football currently, looking delighted as ever uh, with that introduction. It's Matt Law. How are you, Matt? Good. I had a big smile when you said it. I am delighted. Good, good. Glad to hear it. Should we start with Wolverhampton Wanderers? I think that's the obvious place uh, to begin. They went behind at Old Trafford, but this Manchester United team, they, they don't tend to run up the score, so they're never out of sight of teams. They also don't tend to let teams in very often, like as they did with Wolves. How did Wolves do it? Well, they, the Wolves only went behind, having actually had some really good chances before that. You know, they, they went behind almost against the run of play. They could have been one or two goals up quite easily. And they went to Old Trafford like they've kind of played against everyone else this season to, a, to attack, to put their own mark on the game, not to just get overrun. Wolves, I think, this week are really interesting because I would like to see them go and try and win the Carabao Cup because I think they could have a chance of going really far in that competition. And they've proved already this season they're not going to have any issue with staying up. I recognise that they want to finish as high as they can in the Premier League, but they've got Leicester, I think, in the Carabao. And I'd love to see them actually play a full team and really go for it in that competition, because I think they could go far. And I think it would make even more of a statement if they actually made it clear they want to win a trophy, rather than just do the kind of come up and, and do well in the league whilst tossing off all the cups thing. We've seen teams come up before as good as Wolves in the Championship, but very few have looked as good in the Premier League. Is it simply that they're just a lot better than the teams that have looked good in the Championship before? Or are they approaching things differently? I think they're a really good team. I agree with Matt. I think, um, I mean, it sounds a bit stupid, but they, I think they look better than Arsenal or Everton. Everything they do looks as though it's very well organised. They like to attack. They don't just sit back and try and block everyone out. They actually try and play, which is great. 
there's a difference in mentality. And Mourinho mentioned it in the game. He he said that they looked more motivated. Wolves did than his own team, and I agree with that. And going to Old Trafford should be a kind of daunting thing. But from the very start, they had Matt Doherty, the right wing back, was in a striker's position, just really going for it. They were doing the same things they did uh, last week and getting chances. They could have scored quite a few. I think that, to be honest, Nuno uh, Spiritus Santo was a coach that not that many people rated during his time at Valencia for some reason. But I, I feel like he is very special. He knows how to unite a dressing room, how to create like this really great atmosphere. He speaks and communicates with the coach, with the players so well. He's meticulous with how he plans. Like he will watch whoever it is that they're playing like United and watch Pogba's movements and watch Lukaku's movements and then drill his team so that it becomes second nature as to how to attack those weaknesses. The players always seem to love him. He plays such with high intensity and he's a little bit in, similar to Antonio Conte in, in the sense that he has like the, all these exhaustive workouts. But the thing is, is he makes it so much fun to play for him despite how, I was going to use a word that I'm probably not allowed to use, how disciplined he is. <laughs> that's that's <laughs> fine, Nina. Disciplined yeah. is acceptable. Disciplined is acceptable. <laughs> the other one, not so much. So um, despite all of that, though, he's, um, he's fun to play for. And so, and, and I think that when you have a coach who trains you to be the best and who gives you the confidence to go out on the pitch and attack Manchester City, attack Manchester United and see what you can get out of it, then you'll do well in the Premier League. For sure. Let's go back to Paul Pogba. Shots fired again slightly by Pogba at Mourinho. He, he was saying Manchester United weren't attacking enough. They need to attack more at home. Mourinho blames the mentality, as JJ mentioned. Uh, who was right? Probably Pogba. Um, although it's strange that he said it because obviously he made the mistake for the Wolves goal, which he did recognise within his quotes. It also felt a little bit selfish in a way because it was talking, It's all apart from shots fired at Mourinho, it's almost shots fired at the rest of the team as yeah. well because he's saying there's nothing for me to actually pass to. There's nothing going on ahead of me. So when I get the ball, I'm just sort of waiting for things to happen. Hence, I end up getting robbed of the ball and they score. So it's felt a bit of an excuse, but their relationship's fascinating at the moment because Pogba has clearly taken the view... He's not going to be shut up. He's not going to be allowed to, for just Mourinho to, to put out noises here and there that maybe he's not doing it. He's going to keep talking, keep getting his side of the argument across, keep making it about him a lot of the time, whereas I think a lot of people would probably prefer that he, he didn't make it about him. I like the character, though. It's good that he then stands out as this character within the Man United team as opposed to yeah, for a sure. silent number, and they've needed that for a while. I also wonder, with the things he said about Mourinho and the, and the players not moving... Is he having a go at Mourinho saying that because Mourinho must want his players to move into position to be able to receive the ball forward and Pogba is dead right. There's no movement off the ball that he could get to which is why he tries things like that turn in the you know the centre circle which he gets robbed from for the goal. Well not the centre circle but it's deeper. But if you don't have a pass on you have to make a decision quickly and often Pogba will go for the little trick and he gets caught out there. Mourinho's team's well they're generally more defensive. I know you probably like them quite a lot. You know. <laughs> Not yeah. that defensively minded. Oh, okay. well, but yes, I do like them. <laughs> yeah, but then you, if you, once you break, you have to have movement off the ball. To You should have two options every single time you have the ball, if you're especially if you're a midfielder, and they don't. And Alexis Sanchez, I'm sure I'll talk about, he was, I put him in the bin. <laughs> that bad, huh? Oh. In the bin. Yeah. The, the transfer bin. He's been, as we said about it before in this podcast, that I think he looks broken and I, a bit like the same way that Fernando Torres looked broken. More, when he was more than a slump, it's a sort of permanent downturn. Yeah, think? James Ducker wrote a piece in it, um, for, uh, for us. I thought he was dead right with everything he said. The spark's gone. I don't see the creativity in it. He just, he works almost too hard, Clive, and he just keeps going into the same 
same avenue every single time and it's always a roadblock and he doesn't see the pass, there's no one off him. And because he's carrying this weight of expectation and pressure and he thinks he's a, a massive player and he should be, he then just throws his arms in the air at any player who doesn't happen to be in the same level as him. But he's nowhere near the level he should be. So it's very difficult. Just going back onto Pogba, it reminds me a bit, I can't name them, you're going to want me to name them. When it all went wrong for Mourinho at Chelsea, about six months beforehand, he was starting to leave a few players out, think murmurings were happening. There were players at Chelsea who could have left, who thought, do you know what, I'm going to stay because I'm going to outlast Mourinho and I'm just now going to make it all about me, all about my narrative because I'm going to stay, he's going to get sacked. And I, th- I, I wonder whether that's happening a bit with Pogba. He's just thought, I'm going to protect my own image I'm going to protect my reputation with the fans because he's going to go and I'm going to still be here. Well, with Pogba, let's talk about that because the podcast fans might not realise how these quotes come out sometimes. A player will generally do a bit for TV and they're not really required to speak to anyone else. But Pogba is choosing to stop in the mix zone after matches and, and get his story out there, right? And, yeah. and that's quite unusual for a player of his stature. It's unusual for a player of his stature that he's stopping so much. It's unusual for a player of his stature that he's stopping after bad results or dodgy results. It's unusual for a player of his stature that he's stopping after personal mistakes. Very rarely happens. You've only got to think that he wants this out there. It's the only reason. You see, my issue with all of this is that while Pogba was probably a better player at Juventus than he has been at United, he was always capable of these mistakes. And he always sometimes exaggerated or complicated certain movements. Sometimes with the basics, he struggles because he wants to be the player that everyone looks at because he wants to live up to his potential. He does have that slight desire to be a bit to be individualistic with the way that he plays his game. But I do I'm, I'm, I'm struggling a little bit with certain French players because I do think that they're all coming out and speaking in, in ways that like Antoine Griezmann has come out and been like, you know, I'm actually a really great player. Like Rabiot is coming out and, and being like, I can't believe you put me on a standby list for the for the World Cup. And Bappe gets a red card and says, you know what, I don't regret it. There's a certain need for all of these guys to come out and now in, impose their personality and show their character, which worries me a little. But it also shows you how much Mourinho's reputation has gone down because he used to have such control over the dress, dressing room, such control over what his players are saying. But I, if you, you are a team unit and you are trying to get everyone to pull in the same direction, then I get I can understand what Pogba's doing, but it's perhaps better if he just doesn't speak. He's having a decent season, though, isn't he? He's got 10 shots on target, which is more than anyone else in the Premier League. I think Scherler is next best with eight. So he's, he is doing his, his bit, you would say. He's doing his bit, season. but also still with kind of some, some big mistakes that Mourinho might be, be going mad in the background. Just got to take issue with Mina. It would not be better if he didn't stop talking. We are the media. It's never better that they stop okay. talking. Keep talking. Keep, <laughs> keep mix zones exciting. Something I noticed with Man United just recently is that this mentality that Mourinho was talking about, it seems to be that the players have a mentality that is don't lose as though they have a little bit of fear about them rather than must win. And that is the thing he needs to change to get that not siege mentality, that, but to make them more than they are. They're still too a bunch of strangers on the pitch. I don't yeah. see enough cohesion. And uh, I think there's a lot of fear that if they make a mistake, they're dropped or they get thrown under the bus by Mourinho. I mean, he came out and did the same thing. doesn't protect his players anymore. But he wants them to stand up to those standards he set. And it's worked with Luke Shaw, you think, maybe this season. So maybe he's right. He's been right in the past. I wonder whether there's enough. He needs a sporting director. He needs a sporting director to scout players, to scout personalities, to create more balance on a psychological level. On a tactical level, I just feel like that dressing room doesn't have... It's exactly Sanchez has been accused of everything that you said in the past as well. You know, sometimes it'll be like he's magnificent, but if everything's not running through him, 
you know, it's different in Barcelona, obviously. But again, Pep didn't love him either. So I, I don't, there's that kind of balance where when you are scouting players, you need to find which one's going to do this for you and which one's going to do that. And I'm not sure he's found his right balance. Let's talk about some good defending in the Premier League this weekend, just for you, Mina. West Ham earning a point against Chelsea, ending their 100% record. Has Pellegrini gone back to basics now? And is he, is he building from the back? And were you impressed with how they played Mina on Sunday? I was impressed with how they played in the sense that I didn't think that they were so overly defensive. I thought that they did keep things simple. They did try to... Uh, they, they broke with purpose, didn't they? They were, trying, they were they clearly trying chances, to counter. Yeah, they had point. the best chance of the game. Of course, but it was important for them to have a, to have a clean um, sheet. I don't know why I've just stopped speaking English all of a sudden, <laughs> by the way. It's tricky. It's tricky. <laughs> you know, in that moment when you have so much to say, but yeah. the words aren't coming out because you're like, wait one second, what is it that I wanted to say? Roy had this. Roy had this at the weekend, didn't he? Couldn't think of the word for muzzle. Could only think of it in a different language. <laughs> Roy Hodgson? Yeah. He could only, he's so bilingual, he could only think of the word for muzzle in a different language. We're lucky to have him, aren't we? See, so, this, is, this is what matters. You, you and Roy. <laughs> Me and Roy are sharing the same yeah. problem at the moment. Um, <laughs> but yeah, this was it. Your question was, you know, a case of, you know, do you think that they're building from the back? They're trying to keep things simple. Firstly, I, don't, I think that when you do start your new tenure as a coach for a club, that the, that's exactly what you should do. Because as soon as you solidify your defensive unit, you can then unleash the forward line. And you can't unleash that forward line until you know that they feel safe knowing that the back is protected so that they can push forward. And then everyone starts understanding their tasks a little bit more. And you saw that happening with West Ham. You can see there's a, little, there's a little bit more unity, a little bit more tactical understanding between the players. But I also thought that they had many more chances that with better decision making, they could have exploited but they didn't do that but that will come and you can sort of start seeing the impact that the coach Pellegrini is making on the team it's still not good enough but I would actually be quite impressed if I'm a West Ham fan Best two results without Jack Wilshire just saying Put him into JJ's bin along with Alexis Sanchez Your top two in the Premier League has a slightly predictable look to it. It's Liverpool and Manchester City. A poor result in the week, JJ, for City in Europe, losing to Lyon back with a bang against Cardiff, as you probably would expect. Was that just a blip against Lyon or was there some deeper issue there? (laughs) (laughs) Have a go. Well, I think they didn't turn up with the intensity um, they needed to in the midweek. They've more or less said that. Some of the players and um, Mikel Arteta says roughly the same. But Lyon were dead good and they really took them apart and they pressed and went at Man City, which we've seen in the Champions League several times before. And from Wolves. Well, from Wolves, yeah. It's exactly what they don't like. And uh, you can take them apart, you can score goals against them if you do that, especially if they don't turn up. Yes, they're much better against Cardiff, but I mean, Cardiff's... Well, that's like a, a pub team. I don't, I, <laughs> Come on. I, I couldn't play Be for them. Fair. I couldn't play for them, obviously. Be fair so they're to better Cardiff. Than me. Well, like Sean Morrison came out after the game and said, oh, we know we're better than that. I, like, I don't think you are. Like, you lost 5-0. And I mean, there's just nothing to it. I don't. I don't I, I, yeah, they're, they're going to they're going to bloody some noses at some point, Cardiff. I, I'm going to back them to put a run together and get three slightly get narrow wins. No, and... they'll get a goal from a corner and defend it with their lives, and they'll be like, "Oh, that didn't we do well?" I, I don't think they're going to get rid of Neil Warnock either. They'll just keep him for the whole season. They go down with a record low number of points. How are they going to score goals? They can't defend. They can't score. I mean, I'm, gl- I'm glad they're having fun. This is what Warnock keeps saying. They're having fun, but. I don't know, it can't be a great season for the fans. What's your take on City, Mina? I don't know why everyone is so shocked. I know that sounds crazy, but I, I don't know why everyone's like, oh my 
God, they lost to Leon. You know, like, firstly, Leon isn't a pop team. They didn't start the season very well. I think they got only like seven points out of five matches, but they do have talent in Memphis Depay, obviously, and uh, Nabil Fakir, who yeah. we know with Liverpool. But this is m- my issue. I think there's sometimes a bandwagon approach when it comes to players and coaches in the Premier League. It's a case of, if you actually look at the statistics of what Pep Guardiola has done in Europe with the teams that he's had from Bayern Munich, even Barcelona in his last season, to Manchester City now, he concedes goals, he struggles with away goals, not that this mattered at this particular moment. What was so brilliant about Sir Alex Ferguson is that he evolved his team. So he had one style of playing in the Premier League, knowing what there is to be faced there, and one style to play in Europe which Pep hasn't yet found. When you're playing in Europe, you need a little bit more balance. You can't just have Fernandinho with all this pressure. Also, Europe, it it robs you of composure. That's why you need sometimes a little bit more defensive defensive mentality or at least a little bit more of a tactical balance. But you're leaving this guy exposed in front of two centre-backs who are not good in one-on-one situations. You haven't bought a team that is made for that ability. So, you know, and you're you're not playing with Sergio Busquets. You're not playing with Casemiro. Players who perhaps are better at like in a midfield that is surrounded by attacking creative midfielders. So there's a lack of balance there. And what I'm shocked by is that not more people are exploiting it in the way that Leon is. So if anyone coming forward actually meets Pep Guardiola's side, unless he's planning on changing the team and offering a lot more support to the likes of Fernandinho in midfield, which I doubt he will because he's so stubborn about his philosophy, he's so stubborn about playing attacking football. It's beautiful to watch when you're scoring 5-0 against Cardiff, but can you manage that in the Champions League semi-final? Well, I don't think see, so. like Liverpool put Firmino on Fernandinho when they beat them in Champions League last season. So yeah. like Klopp found this out. You push them up, you mark that guy out of it so there's no link play between the defence and the midfield. And that's how you can you can force mistakes and turnovers. So that's what they do it. I don't even think you need a kind of Fernandinho. Even in Brazil, if you just leave him alone, he can't do no, the job of Makaleli or Casemiro or Sergio Busquets. But it's a different role. It's not like he's not a he's not a defensive player. He's the he's the pivot, he's the anchor. So you have to have that in that Cruyff shape, you know, the, the three midfields, you have to have that. But, what, but who's the defensive guy? Who's the guy who's gonna come back? Fernandinho, but it's tackle? the team as a defensive unit. I don't I don't think you need one player doing that. It's meant to be the team defence as a unit. So he pushes the defensive line so high up so the ball's further away from his own goal. Why didn't that work against Leon? Because Leon went at them and, and just took them apart and, and they didn't turn up. They weren't intense enough. It was almost as though they thought... I think they underestimated Leon, it looked like to me. But how can you play with Delph and Walker... Fernandinho, yeah. and then think that's enough and that the team is going to play as a defensive unit. Who's there because to sacrifice? Because they, they like, walked the league last season. They were pretty good in Champions League. But well, they got done by Liverpool. You're not playing in the league. Though. You're not playing in the Premier League, which is an attacking. You're playing Europe, where teams are much more balanced, yeah. especially when you're facing a continental side. So this is my... It's almost... It, for me, it verges on arrogance to think that Delph and Walker are enough to provide the support for these two centre-backs and that Fernandinho... It won't get exposed at all. There is no defensive anchor there. There is nobody there who's willing to do the dirty work. And also, unless you're willing to do that, you need players like Messi. You need players like Dani Alves. Mm. Direct players who can at least cause problems on, on you know, going forward. But they didn't they didn't play with any direct players to start with. They had no Sergio Aguero. They didn't start off with Leroy Sané. Mm-hmm. There's no Kevin De Bruyne. So it was just a little bit like they were losing possession. They were sloppy. Going. Their plan A wasn't good enough to forgive the fact that they don't have balance. That's true, right? I, I know what you're saying. I, I don't agree at all with that defensive breakup bit because the thing with Pep Guardiola is that he wants to control as much of the game as he can. You might say it's a control freak. You said it's kind of arrogance. I don't think so. I think it's because he's trying to control the game. 
if you play a team in a 4-2-3-1 and you just have them sit deep, look to hit in the break and look for those chances, you don't have control. You don't have complete control. You're, you're giving your players freedom to express themselves. And yeah, when you've got a Messi or something like that, then you win those games. And I think he's probably got lucky a couple of times, but you know, most coaches will have that. By having this system and this, this Croy 4-3-3 who plays well, it, it looks different in attacking phases. It means he can control more of the entire game and doesn't leave things to chance or dice rolls and he can get more of it. If the players make mistakes, sure enough, you're vulnerable, but it just ties into how he wants to play with that higher line and having it. I understand that, but isn't that... Okay, you actually make a really good point there, so I'm so sorry, we're just going to move on. But but I I can get that when you have somebody who with the skills of Sergio Busquets and you have two players alongside him who are never sloppy in the terms of Xavi and and Iniesta. When you have that, then I understand that you don't need an anchor and that you've got two, two defenders in the likes of... Well, it's now on TTMPK, but Puyol before it, or yeah. there's all Mascherano. Oh, there I was see. understanding, but I feel like there's a, a lack of perhaps talent in that midfield that requires a little bit more of a defensive... Oh, I don't know about lack of talent. And the thing he has is he plays Gundogan in that in that holding role, the other midfield slot. So in theory, what he should do is drop back to help out for Nadinho when he's marked, which is what they have done when someone's marking You're right, it's not lack Nadinho. of talent, more lack of experience. This one could Maybe. run and run. You'll yes. have to buy the Telegraph audio. <laughs> but anyway, they could club. win everything going forward. We don't know. But I'm saying this is my issue. He needs to address that. Don't fancy them for the Champions League then, in summary. <laughs> In England, it is Liverpool on top of the Premier League. What did Shakiri bring to them on his first start in the league? It will be Shakiri. Left foot, around the wall. Oh, and off the bar! Salah! Makes it three! Do we know why he was subbed? I don't know why he's subbed. I'm just trying to think of something I can say that will create another massive <laughs> debate straight I do, out. because Klopp understands. <laughs> well, it's exactly it. pragmatism. No, the, what, <laughs> right. That's exactly why he's... That's why he took him off, because they were losing control of the game, because without um, with Shaqiri there, Henderson and Wijnaldum, the other two, they were having to do more work to cover the midfield, and they were basically playing as a 4-2-4, and there's no midfield, and you'll lose the game if you have that. So that, this is where, yeah, well, I totally agree with you there, right? So I get it. <laughs> totally agree with but you. But then sort of one of the things that Klopp's done very well this season is manage the game. And he took Shakiri off, put on James Milner, had total control of the game. It kind of died at halftime. But then that's the Mark Hughes show when he's losing, just, you know, oh, just not losing anymore. I think what, what the test now is, like you say, is manage games great. Is squad management is going to be the thing that either keeps Liverpool going for a whole season or could be the thing that actually stops them winning the league. You'd be annoyed if you were Shakiri. Exactly, you? you'd be furious. You know, you want to go out there, you want to show the fans. You, he Shakiri will have felt he was having a really good game. How Klopp manages that, so they've never had for, for so many years a squad like this. The, the amount of options, I wouldn't imagine that Klopp in his career has had this many options in a squad either but from the, the teams he's managed albeit great Borussia Dortmund teams. I don't think they've had the squad like this where you've got a full bench of stars. Managing this going forward is going to be the decisive factor of whether Liverpool can win the league. If he can keep everyone happy and keep everyone on board, they'll keep going. If Shakiri or someone else or over time a few players decide they don't like it, that's going to be so difficult for him. And this is the first big test. Will Shakiri accept it? Is he on board with it? Or will it create a problem? Shakiri's a tough character. Yeah, but he should also accept that he's a bit of a luxury player. I mean, as as good as he was, and he was very, very good in terms of his creativity and his vision, he also didn't win a single header. He didn't make a tackle. He's about three foot. <laughs> <laughs> you can't judge Shakiri on headers. That's harsh. 
<laughs> okay, all right. Bernardo actually scored with a header. He's about three foot two. So. Yeah. so it's possible. He completed just one dribble. I mean, his statistics show that he's more of a player who is a luxury player. You bring him in and he does really, his vision finds you and, and creates opportunities for you, which is what Klopp wanted from him. But at the same time, you know, you also want the whole team to work as a unit. And that's why you have to manage it in the sense that you have to understand that it's moment in time. I need a different and uh, I need a different second half. So you need to sit down and I need to be a little bit more pragmatic. That is actually the one thing that I love about Liverpool this season. I know that everyone loves this full throttle intensity, great plan A going forward. But actually, I think they're more measured, more composed and more capable of winning the big matches. They are killing games, aren't they, this season? Uh, they have a double header, of course, coming up against Chelsea. One in the League Cup, which will have VAR, of course, being used. Uh, one of six games this week with VAR being used. Speaking of games in which could have done with a bit of VAR, Arsenal 2, Everton 0. One clearly offside goal. Lacazette, Aubameyang and Torreira all starting for Arsenal. What, what impact did that make for them? Torreira, I think, made the, the biggest impact. He looked like what they've been crying out for for a while. I mean, he's not just... He's not your classic kind of defensive midfielder. He's, he's a bit more than that. He gets around the pitch. He's energetic. He's aggressive. He breaks at play. He can pass. He's, he's kind of a pocket of, of energy in there, which they just haven't had. It's like Kante. He is a bit like Kante. I don't think he's, he's quite as defensively good as Kante, having not seen him as much, though, to be honest. But he is a bit like Kante. He's a similar size. And just that all-action running energy. It's a lot of interceptions, I noticed. He's yeah. stepping in. He can, he can see a pass, but he also reads, he anticipates the opposition very well. So a lot of times he was just stepping across like a half yard to block a pass through. And he was also, uh, he was quick off the mark. So he'd see someone about to make a pass and he's already there to block it, which has really helped them out because it means they could win turnovers high up the pitch. And he's, he's a good tackler. I mean, Jack is a terrible tackler. He just, he just, <laughs> he just gives fouls away the whole time. Jack Wilshire was a terrible tackler before him. He gives fouls away all the time. They need a good tackler who's going to actually win play and not just give away free kicks through doing it or keep getting booked. And he looks like he will do that. It was a really, really good performance from him. And the front two are developing the understanding that they've they've claimed for a while they've had. And they, they look dangerous against, albeit certain teams, certain defences. Everton's defence looks a big problem. I mean, they've got Mina to come into that defence and he's going to have to have some some sort of... They've got who coming into that defence? Yeah. So... <laughs> <laughs> You'll sort them out, Mina. <laughs> I, was, I thought one. he was talking about me too. <laughs> <laughs> but um, they've got to sort that out because they're playing a high line and it's not working for them at all at the moment. But it, w- it was really encouraging for Arsenal and the last few weeks has been encouraging. They could yet, they could yet kind of make a run on the top four. Result of the weekend in the Premier League. Uh, Bournemouth, who were anointed in my absence on the podcast last week as the kings of everything, uh, thrashed at Burnley. Where did that come from? I don't think it was a real thrashing, though. What's the score? Four. I know I know it was 4-0. <laughs> but um, I think this is another one. This is one of the reasons that Premier League football, um, oh, it's, it's amazing, obviously, but it becomes a little bit kind of uh, to watch all the time. Because if one team is just slightly more up for it than the other then they if it's two teams like Burnley and Bournemouth that team is probably going to win it they get the luck of the draw luck That's of the bounce competitiveness though isn't it maybe but like it's just so Burnley were winning all the second balls that's that's how they won it so they're doing the same thing as they've been doing in recent games they get forward they the way they create chances is to get near the final third and then someone hits a diagonal ball to the back post and one of the big loons knocks it down and someone else punts it in second ball 
And other teams who have been well organised and defended have got it away. Bournemouth, I wonder whether they turned up thinking this should be easy because Burnley look they don't they don't look great so far this season. But that's what they were doing. And also, I think this is really important. Burnley were much more physical and taller. So Bournemouth are quite wee kind of players and they're built for speed and they created, I think, the more aesthetically pleasing chances. They were playing nice passes through the middle, they were using the width well, they were breaking well, but they just weren't creating. There's just one at it. I agree with JJ to a point. However, the best player from the highlights, you know, I only watch the highlights, best player from the highlights was the smallest, quickest player on the pitch, possibly Aaron Lennon, who actually, they they used him really well breaking at them, particularly when they got up in the game and then they were able to soak up pressure and catch them, which they did late in the game. So I think you're being a little bit harsh on Burnley. I get where you're coming from completely on them. I do think you'd be in a little bit harsh because I thought they used Aaron Lennon expertly once they got up in the game. And it was nice to see him, actually. I mean, he's a player we haven't seen a lot from, who's had his own personal issues, playing really well. And for what what we always used to criticise Aaron Lennon for was for all his explosive pace, his final ball used to be terrible and actually used the ball really, really well in that win. But it, it, was, it did feel like a freak 4-0 win because I, I'm with JJ. Bournemouth had possibly the better chances. They looked like they played well. I mean, Eddie Howe afterwards said they played well. They were in the, even at 2-0, they were well in the game and then they just got done when they were obviously trying to get back in it and, and pushing too many people forward. So yeah. it felt like a freak. But I did also think probably Burnley are going to be fine. I think Burnley are going to have enough. They're going to have enough physicality that JJ spoke of. They've got enough within there to, to see off the odd team. I don't think Burnley are going to be as bad as, as we possibly feared a few weeks ago. End of a drought in the rain at Brighton for Spurs and Harry Kane. But a worrying bit of news in the week for them, Matt, that they might be not moving into the new stadium at all this year. Do you think there's much truth in those uh, in that story? I This is my speculation. I should make that very clear because I know Tottenham lawyers are all over everything to do with the new stadium. My speculation would be that they certainly won't move into it this year. I wouldn't be surprised if they don't play in it this season either. I, I think we're going to get to a stage where they're going to have to make a decision it would almost be better for both the team and the fans if Daniel Levy were to actually turn around and say, do you know what, we're going to take our time, we're going to get it done properly, we're going to stop having all this uncertainty, we're just going to stay in Wembley now. We'll stay in Wembley for the rest of the season, we'll, we'll pay for the rest of the season in Wembley, we'll all move in next season, it's going to be great, sorry. I think actually that would benefit the team and I actually think the fans would prefer that than this constant uncertainty over when it's going to be. On the Tottenham Stadium, I was talking to someone this week who raised a really interesting point on the biggest error that they feel is in this whole thing. Very quickly, Daniel Levy, when he put the contract out to Mace... um, Who are Mace? Mace are the contractors for the construction of the stadium. They're in charge of it. They subcontract everything else out to get all the electrics done, blah, blah, blah. Daniel Levy decided against a fixed price for the whole thing. So he could say... Mace would have come back to him and say, right, we're going to think it's going to cost all the subtractors, let's say, 800 million. We'll do the whole thing for 900 million. If it goes over that price, that's our problem. If it doesn't, then great, we make a profit. That's what happened with Wembley and Multiplex. Multiplex ended up shouldering a huge cost because of the fixed price contract and the stadium going on for longer and costing more. Levy thought, I can do it cheaper, I can do it better. And it's all blown up in his face. And Tottenham are now, all the costs are now his. He's having to take every cost. So I don't see Tottenham being able to spend any money in January 
because they're having to foot all of this delay bill. I don't think that's a huge problem if they don't spend money in January. I just think in January you always pay over the odds for mediocrity. So They bought Lucas Moura last year. Yeah, actually, he's worked out for them. You're right about that. Great comeback. <laughs> he didn't work out for them last season, though. But didn't Alexis Sanchez come in in the middle? Yeah, he did, yeah. kind yeah. of yeah. not working But 300 million pounds they might have to find to fund the Tottenham rest of Tottenham deny this, but a lot of people in the construction industry think it's going to end up coming up to 1.2 billion from 850 million. Oh Stadiums. Not cheap. Mike Ashley, understandably, decided to visit South London this weekend, as we all know, the best part of London, for Newcastle's nil-all draw with Palace. Uh, first game he's attended for 16 months. He got both barrels from the travelling fans. Will he care about that? Does that make any difference to a man like Mike Ashley or a football club owner to be just abused for 90 minutes by angry fans? It does. I mean, it, it does worry some owners. You know, Sullivan and Gold at West Ham, for instance, really, you know, take it to heart and... and make decisions on the back of it. Ashley doesn't care a jot. I mean, he's been having it for years. He doesn't go much. He, I remember he always used to go to Tottenham because he's actually a Tottenham fan. And he always used to go to Tottenham, Newcastle. But he he really doesn't care. He's so thick-skinned. I mean, he gets dogs abuse in his business, far more important things than football. And he gets dogs abuse by the Newcastle fans, has done for years. They protest against him. He doesn't care at all. You saw him in the stands. I mean, I've seen the pictures of him laughing and joking in the stands. He's... He's not bothered. Just having a nice time in South London, probably. Dreadful game that he went and watched. Yeah, not strong, not strong. It's always yeah. bad when the main story is a player almost getting hit by a bottle. Wilf Sahar, I know he didn't have his best game against Newcastle. Roy Hodgson said he expected a bit more of him. I think he's absolutely brilliant. And I, so I think he could play, honestly, for someone like Real Madrid. <laughs> like, he looks good enough. He's one of the best forwards in the Premier League, I'd say, right up there in the top five, easily. But the way he plays would suit Spanish football especially and he, he he should be playing Champions League football he's amazing to watch he can go past almost anyone he wants to he's balanced strong he sees the final ball he sees his opportunities and he just goes back it's like he's playing in a cage the entire time like those kids that play in the football cages I don't know what you call them football cage prison yeah football prison <laughs> yeah uh, I, I just I just love him I think he's excellent let's uh, let's take stock a little bit at this point uh, Matt on the on the last pod but one you were saying after the first international break of the season you get a bit of a truer read of yeah. teams uh, what's really going on what's the pod's view on who's for real either good or bad there's always one team you look back and think oh blimey they were they were in the you know bottom three for the first six games of the season and they end up finishing well and vice versa who are the candidates for that I just said I think Burnley will be mid-table again. I don't think they'll be as bad as uh, as it looked in the first few weeks when they had the Europa. So they would get my early backing to climb up and win enough games. Who are the overachievers at this point? Who's going to revert to averageness? I don't know if there are any overachievers, to be honest. I thought Huddersfield would be better. I was a little bit shocked at it. It feels like the moment's passed, doesn't it? Yeah, how bad they are. I really thought that at one point if they have enough energy, but they're just, I think they're naive Again, it's a side that lacks balance. Do you know what I think has gone under the radar? I know some of their performances were good, but Everton have started really averagely, mm. given all the money they've spent, all the expectation, all the praise Silver was getting about how he was going to change his team. Um, I think they're down in about 12th or 13th. They would have hoped for a much, much better start. I know, you know, Arsenal away is a tough fixture, but they haven't had that tougher fixture list to start with. And I think it's gone really under the radar that I think they're underperforming. For all the money they've spent, they're underperforming again, and they still haven't replaced Romelu Lukaku, mm. which is mental. Mm. Why would you not buy a striker? 
I don't get it. Even if, you know, they might buy the wrong striker and he might not do well, but they haven't even bought a striker. It's my favourite game, though. I mean, because I'm not trying to, you know, play devil's advocate yeah. or anything, but who who could they, who would they buy? A big uh, unit. Give me a couple of minutes and I'm going to come <laughs> Why back. Why do they go for with... Wolf of Zaha? <laughs> He's uh, Real Yeah, I don't know if he'd be the nine they need. I, I know what you mean, because I, I, I think exactly the same thing. They need to sign someone who, who scores goals. Who do you sign? I can't, I'm trying to look through, all the, you know, the Portuguese league, Spanish league, to, to where those future players are coming from. The ones that are, there's a guy um, at Borussia Dortmund called Alexander Isaac, who should be a really decent player, but he's 19 or something. Like, he's very young. There's players in, in Portugal who would be good soon, but not yet. So but they've had loads. I mean, they've had, it's not like they're trying to find a bargain, is it? They're not having to be that clever about yeah, signing a striker. No, but then they, they, they could spend, they could have spent in the summer. Fifty million pounds on a striker. It was supposed to be Tosin, wasn't it? Well, he was he was back in sort of last January, and we've known pretty much from the week he came that Tosin was not going to be the answer. I just find it bizarre that you wouldn't try. And I get what JJ's saying, and I can't come up up with one off the top of my head, but they're not trying to find a potential fifty million pound striker with ten million pounds. They can go out and spend fifty million pounds on a striker, so they should be. Finding then, someone. I know they can pay them the money, but I think like Lacazette's a good example of a player. Maybe you could think last season or whenever it was, Lacazette signed that fifty-seven million. I think it was. So that's a player they could be going for. But he, why would he go to Everton when he's definitely not getting Champions League football? Why not even get Europa League? You get paid the money, but you can go to other clubs and, and get that. But I, I think there's more opportunities. Like right now, there's. Why don't you look at like differently, like the Polish league, for example, rather than the Spanish or which may take time for these players to adapt to because English football. I think if you're Everton, you're spending that much money, you need to sign a wonder kid. So you need to sign someone who's either you're pretty certain is going to fulfil potential and be a Premier League player. Because say Marco Silva, right? Say he spends £30 million on... So maybe he signs a boy, Isaac, who it was widely believed... Or Casper Dolberg at Ajax, right? So widely believed will be a very, very special player. Mm-hmm. So you put him in and he doesn't perform. Marco Silva looks like an idiot. He gets fired. Oh, why do you, why do you trust him? You should have signed the ready-made striker. Who's ready-made? There's not really anyone going along. Danny Ings, do you sign him? Danny Welbeck? They're, they're too middling. So you might as well sign a slightly younger player and hope that they fulfil the potential. But then you have to give them time. In the Premier League, there's just no, there's no leeway. You have to sign someone who scores the goals or you look like an idiot or your scout looks like an idiot for putting them in too early. For all his faults, though, Welbeck would be better than what they've got. He would score more goals. Welbeck would score oh, 10 maybe. to 12 goals in a season, maybe even 15, he's better than what they've got. And they, they've got to a stage where, at the moment, you know, as I say, they've only got six points. They can't score. They haven't got any kind of striker. They actually, at the moment, just need something better than what they've got. And you can do that and still be scouting to try and find and, the and perfect And they are making striker. chances as well, so there is chances to yeah. score. So, yeah, I see what you mean. In terms of the, the, the league overperformers and that, Tom, Cardiff and Huddersfield, I'd say, are already down. Yeah. I, I don't know how they're going to come up with that. Bold for September. Yeah. Watford, I think, will middle out eventually, and it'll go back to the same six every year. Hooray. I think Wolves will do well later in the season as well. I really, really like them a lot. You're listening to the Telegraph Audio Football Club, part of the Telegraph Podcasting Network. To find more of our podcasts, just go to telegraph.co.uk forward slash podcasts. Time for the cleverest moment of the weekend in association with the darling of Scotland. It's JJ Ball. JJ, what was your favourite footballing moment of the weekend? Well, my favourite moment of the weekend was a very quick one. It was uh, James Madison. So he had a free kick he had about 30 yards out. Everyone thought he was going to shoot or cross to the back post. He looked over to the left, but he chipped it over the wall to the right. And then Jimmy Vardy came in and punted his shot wide of the goal and should probably have scored. It was just cool. It's the kind of thing that Ronaldinho would have done. 
Look the wrong way, put it over the top. He's very exciting, Madison, isn't he? I really like the look of him. I think I think he's yeah. Um, I don't think he's going to be this world savior that a lot of England supporters seem to think he what? is. Yeah, he's a, a very good player. Well, he would be um, kind heart. of average in a lot of countries' teams, but the kind of player that England probably could do with. And I would like to see how he develops. His free kicks are very good, and he's particularly good moving between the lines in the final third. He's Ronaldinho and Wilfred Zaha should belongs in Real Madrid. I mean, no hyperbole yeah, here at all. Madison doesn't, but Zaha does. Seems like a nice boy as well. <laughs> Let's finish with a little bit of a chat about the best awards on Monday night, the best award ceremony for any category in the world. Uh, who do we think is going to win? Uh, the nominees are Luka Modric, Mo Salah and uh, someone called Cristiano Ronaldo. And who do we think should win? I don't care. <laughs> Don't care. Right, Matt's out the door. Uh, Mina says Ronaldo. Why? Modric shouldn't have won UEFA Player of the Year. Not because I don't think Modric is a fantastic player, but because he should have won FIFA Player of the Year. And I think Cristiano Ronaldo should have won UEFA because I think that should be more about the Champions League because that's their competition. And when it comes to the Champions League, Ronaldo was clutch. He's the guy that made a difference. He's the guy that scored bicycle But kicks. this is FIFA, isn't it? Are you just evening it up? because you This feel... is my... Yeah, I am evening it up. If we are talking about everything, perhaps it, if, you, if Modric didn't win the UEFA, then I'd say... You know, this would be the one that he's more inclined to win. Salah, my issue with it, he didn't win a trophy. For all his brilliance, there's been many individual performances in league seasons that have been fantastic. Um, but in general, I feel like it's kind of skewed to the Premier League for some reason, because why was Alisson not nominated? Or or is it my for, for top Looking at the wrong person. Individual awards <laughs> in the bin. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, Ronaldo or Modric. I, I, I still go for Ronaldo because he plays for my team. So... <laughs> that's, just, that's all I'm going to tell you. I mean, Luka Modric is probably going to win, right? FIFA have this... Well, Ronaldo's not going to the ceremony, which I think is a clue. Yeah, well, there you go. Um, I think FIFA have this ongoing thing where they're just desperate to improve their PR by looking like they're in touch with the with the kids or whatever's cool, and it's cool to think Modric should win that. Great player, phenomenal in the World Cup, and that's obviously their... Um, they're a shiny toy, so they don't want to possibly make anything look less important than that. Champions League is nowhere near as important as the World Cup to FIFA, and probably is correct. But Ronaldo won that Champions League, not on his own, but you know he was incredible during that. Phenomenal. One of the all-time greats. We'll lucky to see anyone like him ever again, and he's still at the peak. I think there's a bit of boredom set in. People thinking they want something new. Leo Messi should absolutely be in that top three. I cannot believe he's not there. That is them going along with hype with Salah. Salah is a really good player and he had a very good season, but he's not one of the top three in the world and I just can't buy into it. Whoever wins it doesn't really matter. It's it, The World Cup's the, the prize you win. The Champions League is a prize you win. Very well said, JJ. You've completed the podcast. That's all from this week's podcast. Do contact me on Twitter if you'd like to before next week's episode. I'm at Tom with an H, Gibbs. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. Have a look for Telegraph Audio Football Club. And if you'd like to leave us a review too, it would be enormously appreciated if it's nice. Thanks to Abby Patterson on the buttons and thanks to you for your company. I'll talk to you again soon. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. 
Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the Internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work.